Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Mudgear Battle of the Lions pro, Evan Preparis. If you're just joining us for the first time, this is primarily an obstacle course racing focused podcast. But what we like to do is we like to bring on outside guests because, you know, obstacle course racing is new, but mastering a skill or like mindset is not new. So we like to bring in outside guests to kind of steal their lessons learned and apply them to obstacle course racing. I'm going to bring on my guest in a second. Quick episode, quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a company that tests your blood and gives you a whole bunch of biomarkers showing, giving you a snapshot in time of how your body is actually performing. And I've used them several times before. I used them for my 48-hour Endure the Gauntlet event that I did for charity back in 2018. Used them a couple times since then. And I just had another test done this week. It, the uh, ultimate package is kind of the one I recommend. Uh, it's the most expensive, but it also gives you the, the complete profile including like your testosterone and your cortisol levels, which as endurance athletes, that's super important to kind of keep track of. So, you know, when you're overtraining or when you're overreaching and then you can taper down for a big event, which obviously we got a world's toughest mother coming up in about a month. So getting ready for that, the 24 hour uh, endurance championships. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Uh, joining me, I have Patrick Vong. Uh, he's one of the owners of Tiga Tactics. And I'm going to run through his bio quick, real quick, and then uh, we'll bring him on. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot in his bio, so I'm going to gloss over large portions of it. So self-defense instructor since 1999. Like I said, one of the uh, owners of Tiga Tactics there. Uh, he's also a former senior editor of Recall Magazine and head editor of a Recall Off-Grid Magazine. During his five-year tenure at both publications, uh, he got to work with people, including um, members of special operations, basically like a who's who of special operations, right? Navy DevGrew, a.k.a. SEAL Team 6, U.S. Army CAG, a.k.a. Delta Force, Marine Force Recon, U.S. Pararescue, so the PJs there. Uh, resident knife expert, uh, has also uh, written several articles for Black Belt Magazine. Uh, has worked as a stuntman, fight choreographer, and stunt coordinator uh, for various films. Well, we'll have to remember to ask him about that later. And then... His, his training background is like insane, right? It's, it's like, it's literally a little bit of everything, right? So instructor for Bikita Terja Kali as a Filipino martial arts, second degree black belt in Lei Chung Chun Fa, uh, first degree black belt in Kempo Karate, instructor women's self-defense, uh, founder and head instructor of CSUF martial arts fitness class, current student of uh, Penjak Salat Sirak, uh, current student of BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and current student of Muay Thai. So Patrick, welcome. Wow, thank you. I um, I never knew that. I, yeah, I've never had anybody listen off like that. So that that's pretty that's pretty crazy and pretty long. But thank you so much for for having me. It's a, it's an honor and, and a pleasure. Yeah, I'm, so I'm really excited. When like I said, this is an obstacle course racing focused podcast. But because I'm in charge of it, and um, I get to kind of sometimes redirect it into areas that currently interest me. And currently, I have like a big kick going on martial arts, where I've been uh, kind of working on that in between running obstacle course races. And I stumbled upon your brand, uh, Tiga Tactics, through Black Belt Magazine, they were offering like a discount and they had like an online uh, training course called EDC Carambit. So uh, everyday carry Carambit. So if you're not familiar with the Carambit knife, essentially like a, looks like a kind of like a claw. It's like a, like a hook knife, I, I would describe it as uh, for our yeah. listeners that aren't familiar. And uh, so I took the online course. I thought it was like really good. I was like, damn, these guys are like distilled uh, knife fighting, which is very complex down to like, a very simple, easy to learn method. And um, yeah, I thought it was really good. So I've been kind of following them for the last couple of months. Thank you. Uh, that's, that means a lot. Uh, I, I'm humbled. <laughs> so for, let's, uh, so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to talk about your background first, because I think you have a really interesting and uh, robust background in martial arts. Then we're going to talk about Tiga mm -hmm. tactics for a little bit. And then throughout mm -hmm. it, we'll be kind of uh, drawing connections between that and mastering a skill or applying it to obstacle course racing. So let's start mm -hmm. off with like, you know, why did you start uh, training martial arts and kind of how long has that been going on? Wow. Uh, like almost every other martial artist in the world, I started because of Bruce Lee. Um, I, my, my father, who never trained, but obviously was a big Bruce Lee fan, he, he'd watch uh, Bruce Lee movies all the time. So I grew up, like I literally can't remember the first time I watched Bruce Lee because Bruce Lee has been a part of my life since, I don't know, I'm guess a baby. And so we'd watch these Bruce Lee movies together. And one of my fondest memories is, is, is uh, sitting on the couch with my dad watching Bruce Lee movies together. Um, and of course, my entire family were Bruce Lee fans. And I have roughly 50 cousins. Uh, and the majority of them are guys. And so we were running around imitating Bruce Lee. We're all Bruce Lee. We're all fighting Bruce Lee's. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and a lot of us, as we grew older, uh, we all became 
or not all of us, but a lot of us became martial artists. So I'd say there's probably 35 male cousins and um, 75, 80% of us are martial artists. Um, wow. So it's just, yeah, it's just something that we do. And so you mentioned Tika Tactics before that that's our company uh, that my co-founder is Conrad Bui, Dr. Conrad Bui. He's actually my cousin. So it's a family affair. It's just martial arts has just been in, in our uh, family for, for all my life. And from what I understand from my mother, what my mother told me, my grandparents' siblings were also martial artists. So it just kind of runs in the blood, I guess. Cool. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that kind of running through your bio, all these, uh, you know, certifications. And I know on your, the Tiga Tax website, it's between you and Conrad, you have, was it 12, essentially belt, black belt equivalent in the various, in various arts? Yeah, it's insane. Yes. Yeah, it's well, like... it, it, it's insane because Conrad has eight of them. So. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, for, for one person to have that many, you know, and, it, and I have to, for a really long time, we didn't tell anybody about this because... Conrad always said, well, I don't want to tell them I have eight black belts because they think I'm lying. And, and I, I, I never thought of it. I always thought, yeah, man, you should tell the world how awesome you are and blah, blah, blah. He's very humble. And, you know, we, our family is not into showing off and, 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 <laughs> you know, eight, eight black belts or the equivalent of eight black belts. That's crazy to think about. Um, but then we realized that um, there aren't a lot of people who reach that type of achievement in one system, let alone eight of them. And, and we realized we have a lot to offer because our experience is so broad and not just the depth, but also the, 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 the depth and the breadth of it, you know, it's a combination of both. So that's kind of how we realized like, Hey, we should do something about this and offer a, you know, prevent people from having to learn martial arts for 40 years until they realize, you know, if it's good or not, we'll, we, we, we cut that workout for them because we've already done it for them and we can kind of, distill it down to what really truly uh, is realistic and what they can apply in real life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yeah, I'm looking at Conrad's uh, bio right now and looking at all, again, all the black belts. I mean, these are, these are, some of these take a really long time to achieve, right? Like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, mm -hmm. they say about like 10 years to get that for most people, you know, and yeah. uh, he's got Kali uh, and Pinjex a lot and, um, you know, JKD, Jeet Kune Do, so Bruce Lee. So, I mean, it's just like, yeah. It's insane. It's an insane. Uh, it's insane list there. So you know what yeah. dr what drives you and uh, Conrad. You know, or I, I can't speak for him necessarily, but you know what drives you to <laughs> achieve such a high level in you know multiple disciplines. Uh, it's really two things. One is, is the abstract, uh, which is the whole idea of wanting to become better, self achievement, being the best that I can be, and I just happen to find that to be. The avenue to do that was martial arts. Um, you know, I, you know, because of the the Bruce Lee influence and and just being around it all the time, that was just kind of like the natural path to do it. But I think if I weren't in a family of martial artists, it might have been through say hockey, or because I grew up in Canada, it might have been through hockey, or it might have been through say I don't know random like archery, uh, or uh, you know, it can be horseback riding, or maybe you know down the line it could have been you know obstacle course racing as well. Um, but, but it, it's just that idea of like being the best that you can be, not, not in comparison to anybody else. That's what drives me. That's number one. And then number two is being honestly being afraid of getting punched in the face and, <laughs> or getting stabbed on the street. That's, that's, that aspect. I didn't really worry about too much when I was a kid, but when I really started, it's really weird. I didn't, I wasn't concerned about it at all when I was younger and I hadn't done martial arts yet, but as I got into my teens and I started learning martial arts, that's when I started getting scared of being in fights, which is weird. Like, shouldn't you be scared when you don't have the training? But I actually got more scared as I did more training. And the reason is I realized how there's so much more to learn. You know, yeah. you don't know what you don't know. And so you keep learning and you keep learning. You're like, oh, wow, I had no idea if I did this, I could do this and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I kind of imagine that similar to, you know, whether it's weight training or, uh, OCR or any of the high level elite athletics, you, you keep wanting to do it because you realize you've learned more about yourself and also what you can, what is out there, what's available and how you can incorporate that into your own training. You ever heard of the, uh, was it Dunning Kruger uh, effect? Is that what mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So yep. essentially it's like, you know, essentially when you know very little you, and then you like learn a little bit, you have like your confidence goes way up. And then like the more you learn that you realize that you don't know very much. And you essentially plummet, and then you have to kind of like build your way back up out of that hole. So 
Exactly. Exactly. Uh, kind of like that. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about all the different styles you've had and kind of, um, you know, maybe what your favorite part is or kind of who, you know, if someone maybe doesn't take any martial arts, you know, what, what would you recommend uh, they get involved in? Right. Cause I mean, just, there's so many options. And as someone who's kind of dabbled in a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are so many options and they don't, they, they're not a one size fits all solution. And so the, what, what I like to say is, you got to try them out. You got to try them out. If they're, they're, you got to do the research. You got to read the reviews and see what fits best for you and your personality and also your body type. But for me personally, I, I, I'll just talk about it from a personal perspective and how I think that could work for other people. Um, the, the first system I, I studied, I actually didn't get my black belt in. It's, it's called Northern Shaolin Shun Fa, which is uh, basically uh, Kung Fu from, from the Shaolin Temple and it emphasized a lot of kicking. And um, and it's very actually a lot of people say that Taekwondo actually came from that, um, and and most people know what Taekwondo is because it's so prevalent uh, all over the world now with a lot of high kicking. Obviously, if you're not flexible or you're kind of you know leaning a little bit to the older side, uh, it's probably not a system for you. It, it, you know, it involves a lot of flexibility um, and and not exactly the most realistic system for in terms of street self defense. Uh, you, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing too many high, high head kicks if someone's trying to stab you. So, uh, so that, that's not something that I would recommend um, if you're older and looking for something that's more realistic. And then I, I, from there, from Northern Shaolin, I went to Kempo Karate. And, um, and, and karate and kung fu, there are a lot of differences, but when you look at it from the outside perspective, it looks pretty similar. Um, it's a system that, that has a lot, you know, it's kind of a... a, a, a relatively well-rounded system there's not a lot of grappling but there's kicks there's punches there's blocks there's elbows there's knees uh there's wrist locks joint locks and throws so it's, it's got a lot uh in terms of traditional martial arts and so with Kempo karate i i i would it, it can be uh it can be a good art for for most people because it's so broad um but again you know it is a traditional system you have to practice kata or forms, uh, which are prearranged movements, uh, which aren't, which it looks like you're fighting an imaginary target or you're, you're fighting imaginary people around you. It looks, for some people, that looks kind of hokey, not realistic. And, and it's not, it's not, it's not meant to, to teach you how to fight. But if you, what it, it does is teach you how to catalog these techniques mm. um, so that you can draw them at the right time and apply them. Uh, so uh, the fighting wouldn't be done exactly as it is done in the kata or the form but it would be applied. So, um, so if, I would recommend karate or kung fu for people who are, are more into the culture, the martial arts, the artistic part of martial arts, right? Um, and they, and they want to learn a, a different culture. And um, when you learn karate and kung fu, you learn about, a lot about the history. You know, karate came from, uh, well, technically Okinawa, which is now part of Japan. And you learn a lot about Japanese culture that way. And then Kung Fu came from China. So you learn a lot uh, of Chinese culture that way. Um, and they are different, but similar again. And so you learn a lot of these different things. And my system of Kempo Karate uh, is actually kind of like a multicultural story, but uh, it, it originates from Kung Fu, uh, China. Then it went to um, uh, Japan and then it went to Hawaii. And then from Hawaii, it went to America. So it's kind of, mixed in and it's a, a bit more of a hybrid system and um so that that's interesting too because you get to learn that path you kind of learn like the sort of uh the people who studied it you know the their paths along the around this world it's really cool that, that, that's that's a big part of why i'm a martial artist it's not just the kicking and punching and beating people up you know mm -hmm. so um so there's that that those aspects um and then i i Jumped around, did a bunch of other arts, but the, the other prominent prominent one that I'm studying and teaching now is Bikiti Tirsha Kali, which is a Filipino martial art, as you mentioned. And that is an emphasis on stick, knife, and empty hand fighting. There's also wrestling, grappling, some other things in there too, and some other traditional weapons, but primarily it's the stick and knife system. Um, and I actually recommend that for almost anybody, unless they have shoulder issues, neck issues, uh, just because there's a lot of swinging involved. But um, what, the reason why I love Kali so much is that it's applicable. Uh, you applicable to, applicable to almost any situation, and you don't necessarily have to have a knife in your hand. You can actually take a pair of scissors and do the exact same movement. 
you can pick up a tire iron, do the same movements, and it would still work in combat situations. Um, so it's kind of like a, it's kind of like if you've watched uh, Jackie Chan movies, how he uses like a ladder as a weapon. You know, Kali is kind of like the realistic version of that, uh, not the cinematic version, but uh, <laughs> but I, I really like how it can be, um, it translates. It could be empty hand, it could have a phone in your hand, you can have uh, an umbrella in your hand, and all the movements still apply. So uh, those are, uh, in terms of my traditional background, those that's kind of some of the, the highlights um, that I'm certified to teach in. I've also studied as a student a whole bunch of other systems. I, I, I don't know if you want me to, to go through each of those, but um, there's qu quite a bit now that I think about it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, I think most people are generally familiar with like, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and, uh, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, from the UFC and then from like the early days of the UFC rather. Yeah. Um, and mm -hmm. then, uh, Muay Thai is, I feel like that's fairly, I think people fairly know what that is and stuff like that. And, uh, some of the other ones. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep trucking along. Um, so before we get to that, actually, before we get to my next question, I mentioned in your bio, uh, some of the movie stuff you've. I've, you've been involved with any uh, yeah. anything people would know? Um, you can see me on on Netflix in a couple of movies. Nothing big. Uh, they're all independent movies, uh, B movies, as they used to call them. Um, the, over, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to insult anybody. They're not the greatest movies. You know, I don't want to insult the director or anything. Uh, so I don't want to name name them in fear of uh, offending them because I, it was a joy to work on them. But I, I did those when I was in my uh, 20s and early 30s. And it was just a really cool thing to be involved with because it combined two of my big passions, which is martial arts and uh, movies. I, I love movies and I'm also a screenwriter. So it was kind of like oh, a nice. cool way to combine the two. And, uh, and, and naturally, of course, I kind of leaned into the, uh, the stunt stunt work and fight choreography just because of my my background and uh, so i got to work with some some cool people um if you uh if you type in my name in imdb.com you'll you'll see the my list of credits and some of the movies i've been actually some of the movies that i that you can see on netflix i'm not listed on there but anyway um <laughs> uh and it was fun and, and the thing that I, I i like to mention that i did them not because uh, uh you know, I think I'm cool or what have you, but because from a self-defense standpoint, I tell people I know what's realistic because I also know what is unrealistic, you know, because I did this fight choreography. And a lot of people think fighting is what they see in the movies. And I tell them, no, I make that stuff up. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the stunt community makes it up. They learn martial arts and they, they glamorize it and they make it flashy and they make it interesting to watch because the truth is, in a real fight, it's really brutal and unpredictable and sloppy. Like, there's no, there's in a real fight, there's there's no crisp blocking, there's no fancy footwork. It's just people getting brutally maimed and killed, really. Yeah. And and so I like to mention that because, um, I, you know, one of the things that Conrad and I do with Tika Tactics is myth busting. You know, we we I love explain that. why. Yeah, yeah. I love those you. videos. Those YouTube videos are so good. And they're like, a, they're like a minute and they, they just cut to the mm -hmm. point. You're like, yeah, that is complete BS. Um, <laughs> it's, it's nice to see like, you know, guys with like traditional martial arts background be like, yeah, this, this is, this is what's being taught and this is not going to work. And here's why it's like, yeah. this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So that's, that's one of the things that, that, that we do. And it comes from the reason why these myths continue to perpetuate is because people use them in movies and you see them in movies and you see the hero winning and you assume, Oh yeah, that technique will totally work in real life. And the problem is like nobody pressure tests anything. Mm. And if you don't pressure test, you don't know if it's going to work for real or not. Um, and, and so that's why I, I like to mention the fight choreography because I can see techniques from both sides, from both the, the, the cinematic way and also the, the traditional martial arts way. And I take those two and I, I basically, you know, with Conrad, we basically show you what the realistic version would be. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners, may, maybe some of the our normal listeners may be tracking this. So earlier this year, one of my friends is a filmmaker, and uh, he, he watched the Mortal Kombat movie, was highly critical mm -hmm. of it. And then he's like, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, this is ridiculous. I can shoot a better fight scene. So he grabbed me with my very limited martial arts training, and he mm -hmm. grabbed an amateur MMA fighter, and we shot like a fight scene. Um, it's like maybe three minutes long and it was mm -hmm. it was fascinating um to do 
like choreographed fighting because me and the, me and the MMA fighter, right? I, like we want to throw jabs and um, you know b- these basically like straight punches to like you know quickest <laughs> to the target, and it's like no, you mm-hmm. can't. We can't do that. That's not going to look good on film. So we, yeah, we right. got, we're throwing a lot of hooks, a lot more hooks than we usually. And then yeah. the two of us immediately want to like throw a couple punches, and then we get close and we're like, well, now I'm close. I'm going to take him down, or I'm going to start grappling. But again, it didn't right. it didn't look good on camera. So we kept having to like break apart, come together, break apart, come together, and uh, find yeah. reasons to kind of like drag the fight out. Um, which was it, it was a lot of fun. I'll uh, for our listeners, I'll drop the link down below in the uh, podcast uh, show notes there. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, Bobby Ross is the guy who shot it. So uh, yeah, and it said the plot is nonsensical. We're arguing over which is the best energy <laughs> drink, which we literally came up with the plot. And it was it was under a minute. It was like, well, why are we fighting? And it's like, I don't know. Let's grab some energy <laughs> drinks. And then we, that was the plot we came up with. So those are some of the best short movies that I've done. It's just, you know, you just off the cuff. Hey, let's just shoot this real quick. And, and those are some of the funnest things I've ever done. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun, and we got yeah, – so the, the amateur MMA dude, um, fighting with Colt, it was like – he's like, man, I got beat up here worse than I did in my, like, regular fight. Because we were like, you know, nothing's padded, and we're, we're like, throwing ourselves mm-hmm. on the ground, and we're having to doing it multiple takes from multiple angles. And um, it right. was uh, – like, I had scrapes all over my body from, you know, something that shouldn't have hurt. Um, yeah. And it was mostly the ground. It wasn't the actual, uh, the co- like, physical contact because we were – the yeah. way – the way they shot it, you know, that cameras can only see in two dimensions. So we're, um, right. we're actually not getting that close to each other a lot of times. Anyway, yeah. side tangent there. All right, let's jump back into, you know, y- you've achieved what, you know, what many would consider like quote, quote unquote mastery in a lot of these martial arts. I know there's, there's always more to learn, but you know, what, what would you, what advice would you have for someone, whether they're training for martial arts or training for obstacle course racing, basically looking to achieve a high level um, in any specific, in any skill, like what kind of lessons can we draw from martial arts there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First, I'd, I'd like to say I'm, I'm not a master, and that, that term uh, kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Uh, and, and that kind of goes back to what, you know, with my family being humble and all that humility stuff. But, uh, but yeah, no, mastery of, of a skill is, is, is important, and the best way to achieve that is first to have a goal. Um, you, you can't just stumble into you know we'll use ocr as an example you just yeah okay i'm gonna do tough mutter today you know like you're gonna it's gonna end very poorly for you so you you got obviously have to have a goal uh going in uh so going back to martial arts or self-defense the goal should be okay i want to be good at martial arts okay well that's very broad so then you have to narrow down okay what martial art are you going to learn and and is it not martial art or you do you want something less traditional do you want combat art instead of combat sport instead uh you know so then you're going from say kung fu or karate and realizing you don't want to do the traditional forms or you know wear the uniform and the belt and you want to do something that's more fight oriented then that then that might become combat sports uh muay thai brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, any of those types of sports um and, and so the goal is really really important you you can't achieve at any high physical level you can't achieve you can't get to that level without a goal in mind so so once you've got that goal then you break it down uh, and you know most people say uh, you know it takes you five years to get good at something um or, or is it ten thousand hours i can't quite remember the ten thousand hours from. is the one i usually quote from uh well, malcolm gladwell there ten thousand hour rule. right yeah so ten thousand hour or, or for me i usually say five years so so let's just say I'm starting OCR now and I want to be great at it. I want to be a master of it. It's going to take me five years. Okay. So then I've got to invest five years of my life. I want to make sure that not just having the goal, but having a passion for it, because if you don't have the passion for it, you're not going to ever reach that goal because it's going to take 10,000 hours. Right? Um, right. And so you've got to have the goal. Then you've got to have the passion. You got to, to me, the passion is the passion and the goal goes hand in hand. Uh, because if you have passion but you don't have a goal, you're going to just end up spinning your wheels. But um, for me, I, I have to be so passionate about something that I might never reach that goal and I'll still want to do it, right? And so to me, that's the, the, the most important mm-hmm. first step for any sort of mastery of anything um, is having a goal, having that passion. And then once you realize, okay, it's probably going to take me five years to get to that point, how do I break it down so then it doesn't become all-consuming? 
because you know <laughs> if I wanted to become um, you know a champion OCR um, athlete um, looking at five years that's that would overwhelm me and I want to give up and so I have to break it down so rather than say five years I say okay in one year I want to get to this point and so let's say for if we were go back to martial arts in one year let's say I want to get to let's pick a let's pick a system uh, let's say it's it's Brazilian jiu-jitsu right um, and say in one year I want to get my blue belt which is the, the step above white belt so white belt you're a beginner blue belt is the next level up um, one year may actually be difficult for a lot of people um, and, and in most cases it is it usually takes you two or three years to become blue belt but let's just say for the sake of the uh, argument that it's going to be one year so how do I get to that one year mark and, and reach that goal in one year so I've narrowed down the goal I've, I've chunked it down basically so now in one year I realize okay I've got 50 52 weeks or 54 weeks um, but I have a certain amount of weeks so then I, I break it break that down and it's okay I look at each week and I say okay well seven days in a week it's not realistic for me to train every day of the week um, but how many times can I make it frequently enough so that I'm I'm I still have that muscle memory but I'm not um, you know number one not getting injured but more realistically not destroying the rest of my my life you know like friendship relationship work all that stuff so um, most people will train three to four times a week, right? So, okay, that, okay, bam, you've got a week, you're going to train three or four times a week. Okay, now let's break it down into individual days. So now you've got the individual days, like, okay, how much time can you dedicate in that one day? And it might be, for some people, it might be four hours if they're, if they're lucky, but most people only have, let's say, an hour for training. Um, and so then, okay, now you have 60 minutes. Okay, you chunk that down some more. Say, how do I check, take that 60 minutes and be the best I can be in that time frame? And for me in martial arts, it'd be, you know, we've got some sort of warm up and you got some sort of cool down. So that's probably 15 minutes right there. That leaves you with 45 minutes of training. Um, and then depending on what the art is, you break that down even further. So now you got 45 minutes, you're going to probably break that up into two or three elements. And that gives you, you know, let's say 10, um, 10 to 15 minutes on a specific concept or a specific drill or a specific exercise. Um, and then you just, Rinse and repeat, as Conrad would say. Rinse and repeat. Yeah. So I, 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 love, I love what you were saying there. There's just a lot of really good stuff. You know, with obstacle course racing, there's so many different distances, right? There's everything from 100 meter, um, like Ninja Warrior, all the way up to 24 hours. And I feel like a lot of people right. come into the sport and they're like, well, I want to, I want to do everything. I want to do everything well <laughs> because we, we, we have a couple of athletes like at the very, very top of the sport who actually can like a world championship level at every distance, which is literally insane. But a lot of those guys have been training for decades before getting involved in obstacle course racing, right? They mm -hmm. just, it looks like they're overnight successes because they were doing running and mountain biking and climbing mm -hmm. for a decade or two beforehand, um, before they got into obstacle course racing. And, you know, people come in and they, they're like, I, well, I want to be as good as, you know, they name an athlete like within a year. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, Again, that dude's been training for a decade, so let's <laughs> let's calm down for a second. And two, like, <laughs> let's figure out what what's good for you, right? Like, I am not, I don't have a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers, and I am mm -hmm. typically better at endurance. So, I I tried a little bit, I tried a little bit of everything that first year, and then I was like, well, I'm really good at endurance, so like that's what I'm going to pour mm -hmm. my heart and soul into. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, and then the, the five years is totally, you know, like I think a lot of people they say are the lifespan, and a lot of people in the sport is like three to four years, like one year to get mm -hmm. to have a taste of everything. In two years, they kind of go all in. And then the four, by the fourth right. year, they're like, um, they're burnt out. And they've, like you mm -hmm. said, they've, they, they've ruined relationships and, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, their, their life is uh, a mess because they're, they're busy traveling and um, racing every right. weekend. So. Exactly. Great yeah. Stuff. I think that three or four, that three or four year market is really key. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's usually where people suffer an injury for the first time. Yeah, whether it's first time in their life or first time in that specific sport or, or art or system. And a lot of people don't bounce back from that. They're like, oh, man, I, you know, I blew up my knee. Uh, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And, and I find that the true masters or the true champions you know, at the elite level, they think of it as like, oh, this is just a speed bump. Yeah. And so that, that's really key, the, having that passion, right? You're still going to do it no matter what, whether you're going to be a champion whether you're going to be last place in every single race, right? You're still going to want to do it. God, yeah, that's 
Good stuff. And I love the, again, also the, you know, where you want to be in a couple of years. Cause I always say like, I have my, I know what I'm doing for the next kind of like five years, like uh, the big goals mm-hmm. on the horizon, but I, I don't mm-hmm. tell people about them typically until I'm within a year. Um, just cause right. that's the appropriate time to reveal that stuff. But, uh, yeah. like a lot of the, I've done, a, I've done all these ultra endurance charity events where like I'm running for multiple days and, um, high altitude one and stuff like that. And all the events that have been released year by year, again, I, I've been tracking what I've been doing for the last, like, you know, three or four, three to five years in advance. I've had the idea. I've just been like waiting to the appropriate time to let mm-hmm. people know. All right. Yeah, let's. I, I, I agree with you. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so let's start jumping into uh, Tiga Tactics. So uh, we mentioned you guys at the beginning. And one of the things that I'm, I can't remember if I, we actually recorded this part or not, um, which is why I should probably stop talking before we start recording. But, you know, if you've anyone's read my biography, Ultra OCR Man for Special Force Soldier Record Setting Obstacle Course Racer, at the end of the book, I mention um, a tactical training uh, done by a bunch of guys who do Filipino martial arts. And what I really liked about them is they specifically would watch a bunch of like live league fight, foot, fight footage and analyze things mm-hmm. and then kind of pull lessons learned from that and then try to teach it to a bunch of special operators guys. And uh, what I really liked about Tiga Tactics was you guys were doing the same thing, except you were distilling it down to its most basic element because, you know, as a special operations guy, there's a lot that goes into my job. And mm-hmm. being able to train on, you know, hand-to-hand and knife fighting is not something that may necessarily be as high on the priority list as I think people think. And now that I'm later in my career, I have more free time to uh, mm-hmm. do some of that stuff on my personal time. But, you know, when mm-hmm. I was actually on a team doing stuff i was super busy um a little bit of a tangent there so what i want to do is talk more about tiga tactics so first you know how did tiga tactics start well uh that's that's an excellent question i would say that it it started decades ago as as just like a a personal goal of mine to create a self-defense company um when i got my first black belt in kempo karate that was in 1999 Wow, I cannot believe I said that. I feel really old right now. But um, I got it when I was pretty young. But when I got that black belt, I realized I was young. So I wasn't going to create a system. Or I'm, I'm sorry, I wasn't going to create a company right then and there because you know, who's going to learn from a kid? <laughs> I was, I think, uh, I was in my teens at the time. So I knew I had to you know, season up a little bit before I, I, I start teaching people professionally. Um, so I only taught in my dojo or taught in my, in whatever studio I was with, affiliated with. Um, but I'd always wanted to do, I'd always want to teach other people, but I also wanted it to be realistic because what I knew early on in my martial arts career was that martial arts is for martial artists. Martial arts is not for fighting on the street. There, there is a huge difference between the two. And you, and martial artists get into trouble when they believe that their martial art will help them on the street. Uh, or should uh, I should say, will make them invulnerable on the street. It will obviously help them on the street, but it, it, it's not like a, a magic bullet or a magic wand or a silver bullet or a magic wand. Uh, they don't become invulnerable um, and, and they're just as likely to be hurt if they're not paying attention. So I realized very early on, there's a bit distinction between street fighting and, and martial arts fighting. And so I, you know, I had to do a little bit more training and, and but I always had that goal in the back of my head. And then uh, of course, naturally Conrad I had the same goal, never told me about it. I never told him about it. And it's very much what you, like you said before, Evan, how you have a five-year plan, 10-year plan, 15-year plan, but you don't tell everybody in the world about it. You, you got to wait until that, that point is, you know, you're close to it and then you announce it to people or, or not even to announce it, but just mention it to some trusted friends. Um, and so that's kind of what happened with Gunnar and I. We just coincidentally, um, same point of our life, we, we had the same goal and um, I had just... Uh, quit as the senior editor of recoil magazine to to try my luck uh, as a freelancer and conrad said hey well, you know now that you're not uh full-time on a, on a magazine why don't we team up and do something so that's where tiga tactics started um from my perspective i'm sure when you when you talk to conrad later on he he has a much more interesting backstory uh on how it all started but but from my perspective that's that's kind of how it started Gotcha. And I noticed like a lot of your, uh, at least online training, uh, emphasizes kind of knife defense. Uh, kind of why did you choose to go down that route? To be honest, knives scare me the most, which is very ironic because I'm a huge knife nut. I, I love knives. I've, I've loved knives. I was a kid. I, the first knife I had 
I was eight years old and it was a Swiss Army knife. Um, but yet I was like deathly afraid of it too. It's a really weird dichotomy. Uh, it's, uh, when I started learning about, you know, martial arts and, and Taoism and, and yin and yang, the whole, my whole obsession with knives, it made sense now because there's, there's this like obsession about it, but also this great fear of knives. And um, it, it continued as I started training further on because I realized all these arts and all these self-defense systems I was learning, they didn't really have a good answer for how do you defend yourself against a knife. They, they thought they did, but then when I tested it with my friends or, or my classmates or with Conrad, we realized that it kind of fell apart. You know, these, these quote unquote ancient techniques from samurai, you know, it, it just, again, it didn't, they, it, nobody pressure tested it. They just kind of accepted it because that's what their, their sensei taught them. Mm. And uh, there was no, uh, there's no skeptics. There's no questioning. And of course, the big part is there's no YouTube for thousands of years, right? right. But YouTube kind of YouTube and, and the whole like uh, World Star and all these websites, Live League, they they changed the world. They changed the world of self defense because now you can really see how criminals are attacking. And and uh, sure, you know, before YouTube, I would read a lot of books and read magazines, but. You, get, you just don't get the same type of information from the written word as opposed to the visual. And so when we watched, uh, again, independently, because I didn't know Conrad was doing this too, we, we independently watched these surveillance footage or these cell phone footage of people getting stabbed. And it was, it was brutal and it scared me even more, but they were also very predictable in how people with knives attack. And the reason why they're predictable is because most people who stab another person with a knife they're criminals. They're not martial artists. They're not mm -hmm. good people. They're not police officers and military. They're criminals and thugs. And criminals and thugs do not train. <laughs> and if they don't train, then they're going to all attack in a very similar way because they're just relying on basically uh, innate caveman like um, responses. And, and so we started analyzing them, watching as many videos as we could. And we realized, wow, there are there are actually patterns here. And if you're observant enough, you can actually formulate a solution around that problem. And, and that's kind of why we, we emphasize knife defense and using a knife uh, because the knives scare me the most. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And, you know, like I mentioned the before about the kind of, you know, watching videos and coming up with a solution. I, I you know, I think, I think you guys just did that so well. And um, it's really interesting. And I, I like how, so I, you know, I've taken a couple of your online courses, mm -hmm. um, my spare time. And I like how you and Conrad will differentiate be like, here's some academic stuff, you know, like, and I love academic, you know, the, you know, 16, 24, but however, however many angles of attack there are, right? <laughs> right. They're like, yeah. but here is, here's what's happening on the street because we based it yeah. on real footage. And, yeah. um, you know, like that model of just kind of like watching what other people are doing, kind of analyzing, like I, I use that for, I use that for obstacle course racing too. Like when mm -hmm. I started, um, I started writing my first book on obstacle course racing. I was, I would literally just watch the elite wave after I'm done or wa go back and watch mm -hmm. the YouTube thing and be like, all right, well, what's the top 10 guys doing that's getting them through this obstacle fastest. Right. And like mm -hmm. you start again, you start seeing patterns and you're like, well, this is what's working. And it's working for a reason. And, uh, right. So, and then just kind of also like breaking problems down and kind of their smallest part and then kind of figuring out mm -hmm. solutions from there. So, um, yeah, the kind of, a lot of that started from that, uh, that, you know, tactical mindset seminar I took, uh, let's see, it was probably over 10 years ago at this point, but I've referenced it again in the back of my book. So yeah, it was super cool. And I, like I said, I liked, um, so the guys that taught that seminar, um, taught, they were a little more academic as far as like the angles of attack and, you know, how many, mm -hmm. this is where I'm stabbing and stuff like that. And what I liked about you and Conrad, <laughs> you're like, here's what you need to know. Like, right. if you don't have much time to train, here's what you train on, you know, these three things. Right boom, you know, like, let, let's get it done. And the, the way the program was set up online, it was cool. Cause there's like these short, like three to 10 minute videos and then it, mm -hmm. it stops. Right. So you can, you can watch mm -hmm. it and you don't have to like rewind the DVD or like, you know, <laughs> like it was just really easy to use. And, um, you know, I take martial arts class, but then I also kind of supplement it with books and, you know, like I said, online training and watching YouTube videos right. and stuff. And I really liked uh, just the format you guys, it was set up and it was, it was super easy to digest and practice and kind of go back and reference. So. Wow. That, that's, that's awesome to hear. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the whole idea is to, to make it as simple as possible. We call it caveman simple because 
in a fight, that's really all you've got is is the the, the innate uh, caveman like responses. You know, you've got the adrenaline dump. Um, you're gonna have you know tunnel vision and loss of uh, you know in some cases loss of hearing, loss of fine motor control, and and so the the way that you move is going to be very limited. Um, and so it's really important to watch to watch footage and to to mo like you were saying before model it. You know after how in my case it would be how criminals attack and in your case how elite athletes tackle this one particular obstacle um and and you know i'm sure you've done a lot of uh, research and training on your own in terms of like how to how to get higher levels of achievement and a lot of them say that all you have to do is watch the best of the best do something and you will actually physically become better just watching them because your your brain is modeling their movements as well 100 percent, yeah mirror neurons I, I i referenced that in my book Hundred percent. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so it's a real thing. The Alan Richardson basketball study experiment. If anyone wants to go, right? Check that out. Yeah, yep. good, good stuff. Um, oh, and the, so one other thing I wanted to mention. So during one of the the online courses, you're like, here, here are the two, <laughs> here are the two angles of attack. Like you need to practice a lot because mm -hmm. that's what you need the most. And so I'm mm -hmm. taking, uh, I'm taking Kali a, a couple months. I've been taking it for the last couple months. And oh, cool. like I watched, I watched that video and maybe a week and a half later, my instructor, again, you know, he's teaching all the academic angles and he's like, listen, right. here are the, here are the three, here are the three angles of attack you should know that I use when I'm actually like spar with someone. And I was like, mm -hmm. this is unbelievable that the two of you guys said the same, like almost word for word, the same exact thing. So right. yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think if you if you look at any sort of physical endeavor, you'll realize there's a lot of different ways to tackle something. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you only, as Bruce Lee said, you have two arms and two legs, and so you're only going to move in a, a limited amount of ways. And and so it's really about finding the the three, the two or three. We like to teach things in threes. Um, Tiga tactics actually means three tactics. So we like to teach things in threes because it's easy to remember. But it's uh, it's not just easy to remember as a student. It's also easy to remember when you're you've got that adrenaline flowing through your body. So um, if you can, uh, you know, isolate, you have so many options. If you isolate down to just two or three, you're in a better spot. You'll be more effective. You'll be faster. So have you read uh, Colonel Grossman's book on killing or on combat? I, you know what? I, I've wanted to. It's on my wish list. It's always sold out everywhere I go. Like, I can never find it. So, so uh, I hope to read it soon. So I would definitely check that out. So I read it back in 2000, I don't know, seven or something like that. And I just, uh, I have mm -hmm. Audible and I just downloaded both of them again and listened to it. And I like it. I liked it even more the second time. And uh, for our OCR mm -hmm. athletes, what was really interesting was a lot of like the high stress situations that he talks about in combat, uh, which I've experienced, but not as many because you actually don't get shot at that much um, mm -hmm. overseas. It's most days are pretty mm -hmm. boring. Uh, but a lot of the same hmm. physiological stuff, like basically high stress, high focus, when they were talking about combat in the book, I, I could relate a lot of those things to racing. It was like I've literally experienced the same thing, but in a race, um, just because, <laughs> again, you're focused, your heart's going, and uh, yeah. you, you, know, re you revert to whatever you've practiced kind of type of thing, you know, or exactly. fall to the level of your training or rise to the level of your training, whatever you want to call it there. <laughs> right, yes. Very true. <laughs> Um, so what, what differentiates uh, your brand from uh, similar companies that are out there? Because obviously there's a lot of like self-defense type companies besides your ex extreme amount of experience between you guys. Yeah, that, that again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm patting myself on the back and how, you know, we're so, we're so cool and awesome. But I think the, the big, huge difference is that because we have so much, depth and breadth of experience we can bring to the table a lot more of what does work and what doesn't you know when, when you when you're learning uh, say just one specific style like say krav maga right it, you, you've only done krav maga you think krav maga is the answer to everything yeah again not to say anything bad about krav maga specifically i'm just using that as an example because krav maga is pretty cool but um you know you, you think you assume that krav maga can answer everything it's like the the typical metaphor of like, you know, when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes. But, uh, because absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, I'm going right? to jump in for a second. So the military has yeah, the yeah, same yeah. problem because we're like, uh -huh. oh, was there like the, the tanker? It's like, oh, there's a problem. I'll send my tanks in. And like, even in special operations, we're like, oh, you're having a problem. I'll conduct unconventional warfare. You know, it's like, right. it's not the solution every time, guys. Like it, different <laughs> solutions, different problems. So, all right, sorry. Exactly. 
Exactly. No, and and that's very true. And so the reason why we're unique is because we have, you know, we're certified in 12 systems, but obviously we've trained in a lot more. So theoretically, we're, you know, we're bringing, I don't know, 20, 30 systems with us when we whenever we look at a problem and then we teach you the solution to that problem. So it's, we have a lot more to offer than, say, one instructor who's only done one R or two R's even. You know, it's, it's, I'm sure, Evan, you're probably finding this yourself is like when you go to try to find an instructor, they might be certified in one or two, maybe three at the most. You know, it's really difficult to find someone who's done, who's certified in four or five. In our case, we, we have 12, uh, you know, and so that that is a bonus if you're one of our students because we have, you know, when you, you, when you, you've done, when you have enough experience, you see things differently than someone who's only done one, you know, one system or driven down one road in their entire life, right? You, you just can't see the entire world when you're only driving down one street. So, uh, so we, we, that's number one is just the, the depth and breadth of experience that we can bring to a real life uh, self-defense situation. Uh, and then the second is that um, we, we do the research on how criminals actually attack. And, and that's kind of the sad part. A lot of self-defense instructors, whether they're traditional martial artists, combat sports guys, or, or you know, quote-unquote combatives guys, they just regurgitate what they've learned and assume that that's the right way to do it. But they haven't done the, the research and they haven't done the pressure testing. So we, like we said, you know, ever since YouTube came out in 2005, uh, that's 15, 16 years ago, we've been watching violent real-life attacks and we know, generally speaking, how most criminals will attack with a knife, with a sucker punch, with a club or a bat, um, or with a gun. You know, there, there's a very specific way that these criminals attack because, again, they're untrained. And because they're untrained, they're going to fight in a very specific way. It's very innate, very natural, very caveman-like. And a lot of these martial artists, they look at us and they're like, well, what do you know? You know, what if I did this and what if I did that? It's like, well, oh, you're the what-if guy. You know, like, if, if I were to fight another martial artist, honestly, I'd probably die. You know, we're, we're two martial artists with tons of experience. We're both fought knives. We're both dying. Sorry, man. Like, that's just the way it goes. But why in the world would I want to fight another martial artist? You know, like we are, as martial artists, we're technically the good guy. You know, we're trying to be better people and we're trying to teach people to be better and safe. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when people, other martial artists, especially criticize us and and say like, oh, what if I did this? And what if I did that? It's like, well, that's, you live in a fantasy world, dude, because why are, why are two martial arts? Why, this is not a movie. We're not dueling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it would be like, you know, two, why would two um, special operation guys be fighting each other? Like, unless they're on working for different countries, right. that never happens. You know, right. uh, you know we, li- we live in a civilized society um, where, you know, the good guys tend, tend to be good. <laughs> and so you shouldn't be dueling, you know? This is not uh, this is not the 1700s anymore. So um, the fact that we do the research, we watch how criminals actually attack. Um, we figure out the problem, and then we use our vast experience to solve that problem in ways that uh, we can give you very quickly. So we've taught seminars, one one day or two day seminars, uh, and we've taught everybody from martial arts masters to absolute beginners, like housewives and and um, older men who've never trained before. And within those two days. By the end of that day, they're basically doing the same movements that those martial arts masters were doing. So, not, I'm not saying that they're high-level athletes all of a sudden, but the fact that they can pick it up very quickly is a testament to how simplified we've made things. So, uh, th- th- to me, those are the two big differences: is the experience and then the realistic research and training. Gotcha. Good answer. Um, so, you, again, you, you've got a lot of knife uh, qualifications and certifications, and you saw a lot of stuff. So, mm-hmm. let what's your do you have any recommendations i know this is probably a huge topic for you know everyday carry knife like what you know what what knife what brands or styles kind of do you carry or do you recommend people people carry who do i I know that's a that's a huge question because you get you write reviews on knives all the time so but yeah yeah yeah. i'm you man so i'm also a knife nut so like i in boy scouts i like our, our troop was known for carrying an obnoxious amount of knives and I still have a collection of, I have a jewelry arm, a small jewelry armor upstairs that's filled. It's not, there's no jewelry in there. It's just knives. So it's like, uh, I used to, I think I, at one point I had 80 knives and then I started giving some away and I think I'm down to like oh, wow. 60 now. So, um, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, we should totally do show and tell someday with you know, <laughs> just me and you. But, um, 
Um, yeah, no, that, that's a huge question. That could actually be the topic of a, the podcast, to be honest. But um, I, I, we always try to say that, number one, you should look at the laws in your area uh, because every city, every county, every state has a different law. And, uh, you know, some, you know, some, I would say, bonehead martial artists, like, oh, who cares about the law? You know, it's all about saving your life. You know, like, if you need to use it, you just use it. And it's like, well, that, that's great. That's fantastic. You live in a fancy world. Because here, we have a thing called the police and the legal system. And if they don't arrest you and put you in jail, then the victim's family will sue you. And, and so you've got to deal with that legal, ethical, moral framework whenever you choose a knife. Uh, and so number one, it's find, find out what the laws are in your area and then choose the biggest knife within the law, within what the legal means. Um, and I personally would recommend fixed blades because once you draw a fixed blade, there's no safety mechanism, there's yep. no on switch, there's no ammo to load, it's live, it's good to go right away. So fixed blades is, is what I would recommend, but in, of course in some areas, um, you know, fixed blades are illegal unless you, you know, say uh, open carry, which I, I don't recommend. So uh, if you can't do an open carry, you can't, I'm sorry, if you can't do concealed carry with a fixed blade, then you go into the fuller, fuller knife realm, which has even more <laughs> options. Uh, and that, and that can get really crazy and intricate. And we can talk a really long time about that, but generally you want to get a folding knife that opens as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. Uh, and most people tend to find that the, Emerson Wave feature is is the knife that does it. Um, so for those of you who don't know what that is, it uh, if you picture a knife, there's on a spine there's like a little hook or a wave because it looks like a you know a wave crashing um, that catches on your pocket as you pull the knife out. So it catches on your the corner of your pocket, pulls the knife out the blade out as you you pull the the entire handle out of your pocket. So theoretically. It's, it's it's like a fixed blade uh, because it comes out right as you finish the draw. Yeah. Whereas with other folding knives, you have to pull it out, then you have to push a thumb stud or push a thumb hole to get the blade out all the way. Then you have to re-grip, and then so it takes like four or five steps. But with the Emerson Wave, it, it takes basically two steps. You grab the knife, pull it out of your pocket, and then re-grip. So uh, that 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 those the Emerson Wave feature, any of those knives that have something like that, those are called pocket deploy knives. Um, and so I would generally recommend something that has a pocket deploy feature on it, if possible. But there, again, um, you know, is it legal in your area? Does it fit your hand? Uh, is it comfortable? Uh, the length, all that. There's so many, so many considerations. So I, I, I can't say specifically what brand or what model. Gotcha. Yeah, and it, you know, I mentioned I had given away some of my knives. Some of the ones I gave away was specifically because I was like, well, I, I can't carry this. This is illegal, right? Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a dagger, it's got two edges or it's got knuckles on it, you know, like, and I was like, well, right. why do I have this if I'm, it's just going to sit in my closet the whole time? And yeah. I kept, I, I did keep some of those because some of them are like fantasy knives, right? They have like spikes in random places, just create, <laughs> just wild stuff. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like I'm glad you said the fixed blade stuff because I, I switched over to that a couple of years ago and I, uh, yeah, just again, the easy, cool. you take it out and then it's, it's out, right? There's no, I'm not yep. messing with buttons or anything. And, um, exactly. Yeah. So my, so the, the night, the night I met my wife, she was carrying a bench made, uh, folding knife, uh, which was nicer, right. nicer than what I was carrying at the time. I was carrying some like <laughs> United cult, uh, the yeah, Tonto knife or something. So. That's how I knew. That's how I knew she was gonna be my wife. She, again, her, her yeah, knife was like hundred dollars. Yeah, I was like, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was like, ah, and I choose you. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um. So, starting to run low on time here. So, what what do you guys got coming up for uh, Tiga Tactics, and kind of how can people get involved? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, right uh, right now we're we're looking forward to our EDC Edge Weapon Seminar. Uh, it's gonna happen on October sixteenth to seventeenth in. Uh, in Orange County, California, Southern California. Um, and that is a two-day event in person where we teach people how to select, carry, and most importantly, deploy a knife. Uh, I think the vast majority of knife instructors, they don't teach how to deploy the knife, which to, to us is the most important part because if you can't get the knife out in time, what's the point of even carrying your knife? You know, you're you're you're, the, the, you're, you're gonna you're gonna get stabbed, shot, or, or punched before you can even get the knife into play. So, uh, and again, I've done you know tons and tons of classes and seminars, and 99% of the time, the 
the instructor started with the knife in his hand and said, okay, let's, let's go, you know, knife in the hand, let's start doing our, our cinnawallies, our patterns, our forms, our sparring, whatever, whatever have you. So it, it wasn't very realistic from a, a civilian standpoint, right? Because who walks around with a knife in their hand? Right. <laughs> you know, unless you're, unless you're working in a field or you're a psycho, <laughs> your knife is probably going to be in your pocket 99% of the time. Legally, um, you're going to be viewed as the aggressor. I mean, if you're right, if, you, right. if you're walking with it out, it's going to be like, well, that guy had his knife out when I, you know, when I started fighting. It's like, yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, so that's the that's the focus of the seminar is like, how do you get it out safely? How do you create space? How, how do you know when to do it, when not to do it? And then also the the legal ethical standpoint um, of of carrying a knife. So uh, that's happening October 16th and 17th um, at Rounders MMA Fullerton. Um, and then after that, we, we've got, um, we've got some really cool courses coming up. Um, we like to offer courses in different lengths. So we have our short courses, which are generally about when you add up all the videos are roughly about an hour and a half to two hours. And then we have medium sized courses. And then we have what we call our flagship courses, which are the, the nuts and bolts of the Tika Tactics Combatives program, uh, which are right now stab proof, club proof and punch proof. Uh, and stab proof obviously teaches you how to defend against a knife. Club proof teaches you how to defend against blunt weapons like hammers, sticks, crowbars, things like that, baseball bats. And then punch proof is um, our defense against sucker punches and haymakers. Um, and I, I would actually, you know, again, knives scare me the most, so I, we kind of lean toward stab proof. But um, I would I would actually recommend most people learn punch proof because a sucker punch is probably the most common weapon used on the street by thugs and criminals uh mostly because if they get arrested they don't want to have a weapon on them and get charged you know possession of weapon and you know assault with a deadly weapon all that stuff so most of the time uh, if, and, and we just recently reviewed the fbi stats because they just released them i think this week or last week uh for 2000 or two, i'm sorry 2020 and um the vast majority of this of the assaults were committed with what they call personal weapons which is just the deep um, and so punch proof solves that problem because we, we teach people how to watch out for the telltale signs of an incoming haymaker or sucker punch. Um, so uh, we have those right now available. And then in the uh, probably the next month, uh, we're, we're going to work on some other really cool courses like a, a machete course, uh, uh, a grappling course, um, uh, uh, how to use a tactical pen and also um, a flashlight, how to use a flashlight in, in self-defense. So some cool stuff coming up. Uh, hopefully people can subscribe to our newsletter and uh, they'll get updates on, on those. And uh, that's at tigatactics.com. And then where can people follow you or Conrad, uh, social media links or anything like that? Oh, yes. Um, so on uh, Facebook and Instagram are probably the, the two best um, platforms that we use right now to, to stay in touch with us. Um, Facebook is just slash Tiga Tactics. And uh, I, on Instagram, it's uh, at Tiga Tactics. Uh, and Tiga is spelled T as in Tom, I, G as in George, A as in Alpha, Tactics. Um, and uh, I forgot to mention real quick that we have a special uh, promo code for, for your listeners. Yeah. Um, if, drop it. Yeah, if they go, if they go to uh, um they click on the, the link for our online training center, our online courses. Um, they use the promo code strength and speed. They will get 50% off our seminars and 50% off our flagship courses. Uh, nice. Again, the promo code, the promo code is strength and speed. The word, uh, and it's spelled out. Uh, it's not the ampersand. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, and we'll drop that again in the. We'll drop some of those links in the show notes below, and then along with the code, so people can can reference it later and uh, hopefully click on it and learn a thing or two. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that that'd be great. We'd love to to have you, your listeners join us. And uh, you know, we're looking at at twenty twenty two right now and twenty twenty three for our seminar. Uh, you know, with uh, with things opening up again, we're we're going to try to do kind of like another seminar tour. So we're we're looking at different spots throughout the country where we can um, fly to and teach in person. Cause I, I personally prefer to teach in person, uh, but obviously with the, yeah. the convenience of internet training, a lot of people like online training as well. So. Yeah. I mean, in person is always better, but I, you know, like I said, I think the, for me, you know, there's, you may not be able to find in whatever area and like specific types of instruction. So I, that's how I, 
I kind of found you guys and uh, that's why <laughs> I enjoyed it. And it then allows me to, like I said, supplement whatever I'm learning in, in an actual yeah. classroom. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so with the last question we're going to ask, uh, I'll give you one more chance to plug anything you want before we go, but you know, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. So kind of the more random, the better usually. So, uh, <laughs> um, this is super random. It has nothing to do with anything we talked about, but I've never had a cavity in my life. That's insane. <laughs> That's literally insane. I have so I, I ate a lot of candy as a little boy, and I have a lot of cavities. And when my wife That's wants it, to scare yeah. my children, she's like, "Look, look at all the cavities in Dada's mouth." And then, <laughs> then they brush their teeth some more. So That's awesome. That is awesome. That's a great, you know, it's a great role model, right? You, you, they learn by by seeing you in action. So yeah, brush your teeth, floss. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, I've just never had cavities before. Um, and I've, I've since, you know, obviously grown up and made friends with dentists and they say that um, it, it can actually be a genetic thing. And some people are just predisposed to getting cavities and some people aren't. So. Gotcha. My mom had a lot of cavities too, so I'm going to use that as an excuse. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Um, before we get going, any final uh, shout outs you want to give friends, family, sponsors, uh, any articles or stuff you got coming up obviously we mentioned the the seminar uh which i originally i had a race that weekend and the race got canceled now i have a, a martial arts test that weekend so i was actually gonna fly out but now i'm not so i'm hoping to make one out in 2022 once you guys release those dates but go ahead yeah yeah for sure um yeah no i, w- I would just say uh two things one one is um for your listeners who are interested in in self-defense um study study anything it doesn't necessarily have to be with us, uh, though, if you go to TikaTactics.com and use strength and speed <laughs> promo code, you'll get 50% off. But, uh, but seriously, though, um, I'm, I'm a big advocate of training in person. And so when you train with us in person at a seminar, we'll actually tell you, hey, find a local gym and train every week, you know, at least once a week, preferably two or three, four times a week. Um, because right now with the, how crazy the world is, all this, all the stuff that's happening, um, it's really important uh, to be proficient in personal protection. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, how to stab somebody, how to punch somebody, but just being situationally aware and, and being, con- uh, having that mindset of, of, hey, I'm a sovereign person. I don't want anybody to mess with me or my family. Uh, and training is, is really what allows you to turn on that mindset. So that's, that's number one. Uh, and, and number two, um, yeah, you just, uh, uh, you know, we, we, both Connor and I do a lot of writing in certain self-defense magazines. So follow uh, Black Belt Magazine. Um, that's, as a personal thing, I grew up reading that magazine, so it's a huge honor to be published in it. And Evan, I, I, you're also published in there as well. So, I am, yeah. It's not, yeah. not the most uh, academic of articles. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I, like you said, I had an article come out uh, probably two issues ago. Uh, it's called Bring Back yeah. WMAC Masters, so an old kind of like the, the equivalent of professional wrestling but for martial artists. And uh, <laughs> They had like a PSA in every episode. It's kind of like wholesome, yeah. you know, like GI Joe. And yeah, uh, yep. yeah I, I want to reboot, so I wrote them an article, and they uh, they accepted it and published it, which was super exciting. It's like my first. I've been in a. I've been. I have a ton of articles on uh, obstacle mm-hmm. course racing, like three hundred plus. Uh, but that was my wow. first uh, kind of martial arts related thing. So and and Black Belt Magazine you know, is everywhere, right? Like that's a really mm-hmm. big publication. So that was personally that was that was really cool for me. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So so check out Black Belt Magazine. I also write for uh, you know I, I used to be a senior editor for Recoil Recoil Magazine. So check that out. Um, the sister publication is uh, actually several sister publications. One of them is Concealment Magazine. Uh, so I have something coming up in that. Uh, I think it should be published by before the end of the year. It's on uh, surprise attacks. How to how to watch out for them. Um, the other magazine that I write for there and that company is um, Recoil Off-Grid Magazine. Some people just call it Off-Grid Magazine. And that's more of an urban survival type magazine. Uh, and just general preparedness and understanding how dangerous the world can be and how, how do I become uh, more secure, more safe for my family. Um, so that's another magazine to check out. And then um, last but not least, because we're, we're teaching a, a EDC edge weapon course, um, we have training knives. We obviously use training knives, not real knives in training. So check out uh, Keen Edge Knives. Um, the owner there is a, a Steve Roller. He's a, a longtime accomplished martial artist, but also a master bladesmith, literally master bladesmith. He's got that certification. So uh, we get all, we, um, all our training knives branded, uh, branded Tiga Tactics training knives are manufactured by Keen Edge Knives. So 
So check those out. Check out the magazines. Do a lot of research and hopefully train every week. Yeah, I've got one of those Keen Edge knives, the the trainers, and it is awesome. I was like, ah, well, what's you know, trainers don't make it. It's just a it's just a flat piece of metal. But so it, <laughs> and it, it's legitimately significantly better than the uh, mm-hmm. one of the, I bought some some crappy one off Amazon some Karen but. Uh, training right. knife and i don't i don't like that one i always use the the, the one i got from you guys the keen edge ones yeah. so hi, i highly okay. recommend that I'll, I'll double down on that one um and then for any of our listeners i mentioned some of the kind of similarities between combat and obstacle course racing i have an article coming out of mud gear uh, if you want to check that out it talks about the similar some of those similarities in a little more depth referencing some of the uh, material written by colonel david grossman on 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 combat and uh, also, I obviously started writing for Mudgear, so uh, you'll see more of my articles on uh, Mudgear.com website. Just released one on uh, different sock lengths and you know why you should choose a specific style for specific races, and one on uh, rucking. So any of, our, any of our listeners are into rucking, so walking with weighted backpacks, some kind of beginner mistakes that uh, people tend to make when rucking, uh, which I don't actually do that many rucking events but i have to say i have a lot of experience from the military because they they forced me to do that <laughs> so yeah a lot of experience there usually against some sometimes against my will there but uh you know part of the training and then you know we talked a lot about kind of uh, combat and um self-defense and stuff like that in this episode for any of our listeners that are more into that uh combat mindset uh, my book it's my biography ultra ocr man from special forces soldier to record setting professional obstacle course racer is out it's on amazon uh hard copy digital or audible so you can find out any one of those i'll also drop that link uh down below patrick thanks again for coming on that was uh super exciting for me personally i hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as i did and uh great talking to you and hopefully i will see you in person instead of online in uh 2022 awesome thank you so much for having me it was, it was a big honor i think you are a true badass uh, thank <laughs> you for your service um i hope to one day uh, obviously meet you and, and train with you, but uh, l- learn some of your, your techniques uh, in terms of OCR. Uh, I don't plan to do it anytime soon, but I think a lot of those things can also apply to my own training. So thank you again. I, I, I really appreciate it. All right. Right on. We'll catch you later.